Um, we're still in on page one of your pew Bibles, so if you would uh, stand with me as we read God's Word, um, and if you uh, need the pew Bibles, it is in page one. We're going to be reading Genesis chapter two, one through three. I think it's really cool that Bruce uh, chose to have me read um, this thing of uh, first day of rest when this is my first uh, weekend of summer vacation as a teacher, so um, kind of fun. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, We thank you for making uh, this this earth that we get to live in and enjoy for for uh, creating us and God we we thank you for the the pattern that you set for us to be able to um, have time to rest and to worship you and Lord, we just love you and help us to grow in our love for you in Jesus name we pray amen I'm sure most of you would agree that the cry of our culture today is busy how are you busy. How's work? Well, it's busy. How are the kids doing? Well, their lives are so busy. Can you help me? I wish I could, but I'm busy at the moment. A few years ago, Tim Kreider wrote an article for the New York Times simply called The Busy Trap. And in this article, he says, it's become the default response when you ask someone how they're doing. Busy is almost always the answer. In fact, he goes on and he says, almost everyone I know is busy today. Even children are busy now, scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They come home at the end of the day as tired as grown-ups. Later on in the article, he goes on and he says, what's interesting about all of our busyness here in life is that it's almost always self-imposed. It's something we've chosen. Work and obligations we've taken on voluntarily. Classes and activities we've encouraged our kids to participate in. And so the cry of our age is busy. This busy trap, though, well, it has some problems that it can lead us into. In fact, one of those, it can easily lead into exhaustion. It can eventually even lead into burnout. You tell yourself you you can't keep up this pace much longer. You live a life of constantly catching up, but you're never caught up. And you can't remember really the last time you don't feel tired. So here's the question as we begin today's message on rest. Are you tired of being tired because you're so busy in life? Most people claim And you're welcome to pull out the insert there in your bulletin if you want to take notes or just follow along on the screen behind me. But most people claim they are simply too busy to rest. And consequently, these people in particular feel overloaded by the pressures of life and overwhelmed by the pace of life. So it's no wonder then that Ben Patterson said, seven days without a Sabbath makes one week. Consequently, busy people need words that begin with R-E. 
And you can probably think of some of those words like refresh and renew, replenish and revive. These words appeal to us. They grab our attention because they seem so foreign to our weekly experience. But let's be honest about all this. What we really need is a word that begins with R-E, and that is R-E-S-T, because what we really need is rest. As John Bloom writes, we, in this 24-7 world of the West, we have forgotten why and how to rest. As a result, we've overextended and we are sleep-deprived. Our relationships are strained. Our, our bodies suffer stress-induced disorders. And, and worst of all, he says, our worship of God is superficial. We need help. And that's exactly what we get from God. Help is what we find right here in the book of Genesis on the seventh day of creation. What God did on that day, the seventh day, is of great help to us here this morning. In fact, God rested on that day so you can too. Is that not a beautiful blessing from God? God rested on the seventh day so you can too. Notice this in your notes. God's rest is an invitation to actually enjoy earthly rest and eternal rest in him. It's hard to rest, though, especially in our culture, in our day and age. It is hard to rest, to, to truly rest, to really rest. And yet, what we find in this passage here, in these short three verses here on the seventh day, is that God rested so you can too. God invites people to share in his rest, and David actually takes him up on it when he says in Psalm 62:1, truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. And then Jesus, later on in the Gospels, he invites people to share in his rest when he says in that all-familiar verse that we know of, most of us do, in Matthew 11:28, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? rest. But here's the problem, and it's a problem all of us here struggle with at some level or another, and that is we have neglected God's invitation to enjoy earthly and eternal rest in Him. And our negligence of this invitation, it is killing us. It's killing us physically and even spiritually. Because of our sin, we either pursue rest to the point of laziness or we refuse rest to the point of illness or exhaustion. Either way, true rest is eluding us. And what we're going to discover here this morning is that God rested so you can too. Let's look at it. Let's unpack this here for the next few minutes. Notice number one, that God established the pattern of rest in creation. God established the pattern of rest in creation. By the end of day six, everything in the universe is created. And human beings are put in place to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth, as we saw last Sunday. And God says everything, at the end of the six days of creation, he says everything is what? It is very good. 
So Moses writes then in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 1, immediately following that, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. God has formed the earth, God has filled the earth, and everything from the sun and the moon to vegetation to animals to mankind is now fully functional. It's organized, it's good, it's perfect, it's complete, and it's functioning as God intended it to. And what did God do next? Well, Moses tells us in verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, or he finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So what do we see here? What do we learn about God? We see that God rested so you can too. Now, if you haven't figured it out by now, that's the main point of the message. God rested so what? So you, that's pretty weak. God rested so you can too. If you want to say, God rested so I can rest, that's the idea. That's what the big idea is that you need to walk out of here this morning with. God rested so I can rest too. God rested so I can rest too. And I want you to see why that's significant, why that is valid, why that is so. Notice here in your notes, the pattern of rest established by God. First of all, God finished his work of creation in six days. He finished his work of creation in six days. Do you realize our God is a finisher? Now that ought to just blow us away. Our God is a finisher. God always finishes what he starts. In verse 1, Moses says that the creation of the heavens and the earth were finished. And in verse 2, Moses says that on the seventh day, God ended or he finished his work of creation. In other words, the work of creating has now been accomplished. It's now been completed. And the stage is set for the events which will unfold in the Garden of Eden that we'll look at next Sunday and even beyond that. And so the fact that our God is a finisher of his work is in part, is just re-emphasizing God's awesome power. We have already seen the power displayed by God all through the creation account in Genesis here. And now Moses is reiterating that. He's re-emphasizing that in this statement here about God being a finisher. God has all that it takes to see the work right through to its completion. By contrast, oh, by contrast, we are all too familiar with projects which are not finished. It's Memorial Day weekend. How many of you have on your honey to-do list projects that remain unfinished from a month ago, six months ago, maybe a year ago, and your wife or your spouse, or maybe it's just you, you've given yourself a to-do list. Here's what I want us to get done. We are all too familiar with projects that are unfinished because we lack the resources of either time, money, energy, strength to actually complete those projects. In fact, it makes me think of an abandoned resort. Uh, my family, we, a lot of times in the summer, we'll go on vacation down to Table Rock Lake, and if you drive on Highway 76, going into Branson West, there is an abandoned resort right there on Indian Point. And as you're on Highway 76 and you're overlooking Indian Point and you can see Table Rock Lake, 
you see this ugly, ugly, uh, abandoned resort that's been, you know, it's just, you know, the developer started the building, the resort, but since then, uh, back in 2008, when we had the recession, it's like the developer just abandoned it, and all that's left, all that remains is these incomplete uh, foundations of these condo buildings. And you drive past it, and it's just, it's ugly. It's, 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 and it's a monument to an unfulfilled dream, to what we don't finish in life. But Moses, on the other hand, he's emphasizing something here for us. He wants us to know that this is not the case with our God. He has the power to see the great project of creation through, and God does just that. Now, here's the question, though. Why? Why does Moses emphasize so strongly that God is a finisher of his work of creation? Why would he be emphasizing that force? What's the big deal about that? Well, it's because this great truth lays the foundation for some of the Bible's most important teachings about God. For example, you read further along in Genesis, and you get to Genesis chapter 12, which initiates and begins the, the call of Abraham. And God will be introduced to us as the one who makes promises to Abraham and the children of Israel. And the rest of the book of Genesis is really begins to show the keeping of those promises that God makes to Abraham and the children of Israel. In fact, you read through the whole Bible, the whole storyline of the Bible is all about, it's tied together with God making promises and then keeping promises. Our God is a promise maker, but more than that, he's a promise keeper. He finishes what he starts. And so you see this thread, this, this this, this truth about our God as a finisher already being laid as a foundation here on day seven. And you see it all through the word of God. It makes a beeline back here. It starts right here. It's laying a foundation for us. In fact, here in Genesis 2, we have this foundation. Our God is a finisher. He always finishes what he starts. And this, well, I don't know about you, this should make us lift our heads and hope. It should give us confidence in this world in which we live in because we live in a world which, because of sin, once again awaits the completion of God's work. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, who finished his work of redemption on the cross. And since God is a finisher, this will culminate with the new creation or the recreation of a new heavens and a new earth. We look forward to that. We hang on to that promise. And when you look out and you're like, when's this ever going to happen? I'm tired of this world I'm living in. I want the new creation, new heavens. Listen, you go back to Genesis here to this day seven and you remind yourself, listen, God finished what he started at creation. He's a finisher. He will always finish what he starts, unlike us as human beings. We can count on this. And so this seventh day here, it gives us confidence of that. God is a finisher. And just as God finished the work of creating the world, listen, we can bank on it that God will finish the work of saving the world. And so grab hold of this. Hang on to this. You can trust God as the one who always finishes what he starts. As we look around us, there's no doubt there is much in this world to make us weary. There is much to make us wonder 
if God will keep his promises. And so lay hold on the seventh day and the God that we meet on this day He is the one who finishes his work. Just as he finished then, he will finish in the future, and he will finish his work in us. As the Apostle Paul reiterates in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will what? Finish it or complete it. We hold on to that. And it is rooted here in day seven of creation. And because God finished his work of creation in six days, we also see that God rested then. He rested from his work of creation on the seventh day. Look again what Moses writes in verse two here. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now here's a question. We've just got through talking for several weeks about the power of God. He is Elohim. He's all-powerful. He's the creator. In fact, he created the the world through his spoken word. That's why he's so powerful, right? So here's the question. Why did God rest then? If God is so powerful, why, why rest? Certainly not because of fatigue. It's not that God is exhausted because of this busy week of creating the world, and now he needs a breather like we need a breather after mowing the yard. That can't be the case. I mean, we're, after all, we're even reminded in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, listen to what he says. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary? That's our God. So God did not come to nightfall on the sixth day and say, thank me, it's Friday. (laughs) Some of you will get that about five minutes later from now. It's interesting, this word rest that we find here in verse 2, it simply means to cease from. To cease from. And in this case, God simply ceased from his creating activity because it was now complete and sufficient. It was finished. As one person, one commentator put it, it is the rest of achievement, not inactivity. In fact, though God rested, he did not stop working. If he did, the universe would immediately cease to exist. God works in sustaining the world by his power. He holds every atom in place. In fact, Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is always, always, always at his work to this very day. But what is meant here in Genesis 2 is that God ceased from something. He ceased from his activity of creating because everything was done and it was perfect and it was very good. Even though your work may never seem like it is finished, we still must follow the pattern that God has set for us. Listen, the first day of rest in creation was not for God's benefit. We're going to see that it is for our benefit. It's for your benefit. 
God established a pattern of rest that is essential to our well-being so that we could get the rest that we need to continue our work in the week that is to come. I mean, we might think of it this way. Who here, after all, thinks they are greater than God? Anybody so audacious as to think you are greater than God? Surely no one thinks they are, and yet how many of us try to live as if we are? Listen, don't attempt to be greater than God. God rested so you can too. God not only established the pattern of rest and creation, but we also see number two here, that God established the principle of rest and creation. So we have this pattern that God models for us. He established for us. And now God does something else. He establishes a principle behind it. Have you ever wondered why our weeks are seven days long? You probably maybe haven't thought about that. You just, we just, most of us take that for granted. Why are our weeks seven days long? I mean, why not eight? Why not six? Why not a five-day week? In a somewhat weird social experiment back in 1929, Russia started observing a five-day week, which it managed to sustain until 1940 when it realized a seven-day week its best. The universal pattern of a seven-day week actually comes from the Genesis creation account and its subsequent influence throughout civilization. And although the English names of our days of the week may be pagan, listen, the pattern of the week is very biblical. And now we see God establishing this principle of rest here in verse 3. Notice again what Moses writes. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So here's the principle of rest by God, and we see two things. Number one, God blessed the seventh day for the benefit of mankind. He blessed this day for our benefit, for my benefit, for your benefit. Moses is making the emphatic point here that since we have been made in the image of God, we must also prioritize the rest of God. In other words, we are expected to copy our creator. God rested, so you can too. God did not need the rest, but he knew that we would. And so he blessed the first day of rest for our benefit. It's a blessing. Think of it this way. In blessing the seventh day, God made it a blessing for us. One commentator puts it this way. God's blessing bestows on this special, holy, solemn day a power which makes it fruitful for human existence. The blessing gives the day, which is a day of rest, the power to stimulate, animate, enrich, and give fullness to life. In fact, studies show, several studies show, that we as human beings, we function best when we take one day off a week to rest and replenish. And if we violate this creation design 
We are abusing our bodies and souls. And little by little, we then diminish our effectiveness to do what God has called us to do that we looked at last Sunday in Genesis 1.28. And that is to represent God and to reflect his glory by ruling over this earth. And if we don't follow his lead in taking a day of rest, one day a week, for our souls and our bodies, we diminish what God has called us to do. We diminish our effectiveness for the purpose that we were created. In fact, during the French Revolution, government radicals abolished Sunday as a day of rest. But they found the health of the nation suffered, and so they had to reinstate it. But God already knew this. God knows that we can't go 24-7, week after week, without rest. You weren't designed that way, and if you try sooner or later, you will burn out or wear out. So God blessed the seventh day for your benefit. Number two, we find that God sanctified the seventh day for the worship of him. We've all heard the song, Oh Holy Night. We might think of this as Oh Holy Day. The seventh day was the first thing to be sanctified in Scripture. And that word sanctified simply means to be set apart. So what God is doing, he's setting apart this day, the seventh day, and he's setting apart from the rest of the creation week, the six days. Therefore, what he's doing is he is elevating this day above all the other days, and he is setting apart for the worship of him. God created Adam on day six. We saw that last Sunday. Which means, if God created Adam on day six, follow the logic here, if he created Adam on day six, then that means day seven was Adam's first Full day of life. So what happened on Adam's first full day of life? Well, God taught Adam a very valuable lesson on his first full day of life. You know what that lesson was? He worshiped God on his first full day of life. This day was set apart. It was elevated as a day of rest and worship of God Almighty. And so stopping to rest and worship God, it serves as a twofold reminder for God's creation for us. First of all, it reminds us that there's more to life than work. And oh, how we need this reminder in our country today. There is more to life than work. God's principle here is so very clear. Work and worship. Work six days unto the Lord and then worship the Lord one day. And we'll see next Sunday that work is a glorious thing. Work is a God-given assignment. Work is good. But there's more to life than work. We were created, yes, to work, but we were also created to worship God. In fact, we'll see next Sunday that we were created to work in, as a means of even worshiping God through the six days. 
And yet the seventh day is elevated as a priority of worshiping God. We are not to worship our work nor anything else. And by stopping work, ceasing from work one day a week, we now have an opportunity to evaluate, to consider, to ponder, to reflect upon who we are living for. And so stopping to rest, stopping to worship God serves as a twofold reminder, and it reminds us there's more to life than work, and it also reminds us that we're not here to do our own thing. We're not put on this earth. We're not created to just do our own thing, live our own life, make our own cities and kingdoms and whatever. No, we're here to do God's thing. And the seventh day reminds us of that truth. You see, we, we as humans, we are so prone to forget who we are. We're made in the image of God. And the implication of that is I'm his representative. And I'm here to reflect his glory. I'm here to live for him. And then we forget whose we are. I'm God's. I'm his creation. He's the creator. But when God sanctified the seventh day, he put this weekly reminder into our schedules that we represent God Almighty first and foremost, and we are here to reflect his glory first and foremost. We can sum it up this way. The seventh day is a weekly reminder that all true blessings come from God's grace and not our work. And we keep the day holy. We keep it, in other words, set apart by stopping to rest and worship God. I like how John Piper summarizes it. He, he says it this way. He says, let my highest creature, or God is saying in effect, let my highest creature, the one in my image, stop every seven days and commemorate with me the fact that I am the creator who has done all this. Let him stop working and focus on me, that I am the source of all that he has. I am the fountain of blessing. Let man look to me in rest one day out of seven for the blessing that is so elusive in the affairs of this world. Generations later, here's what's really interesting. Generations later, following, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 3, the, the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, you have the flood. And then beginning in Genesis 12, you have the patriarchs, beginning with Adam. And then in Exodus, you have the captivity in Egypt. And later in Exodus, you have this exodus, this deliverance out of Egypt. And the seventh day then, generations later from what Mo here, is the seventh day was given this special significance in the life of the nation of Israel. Israel. God set it apart even more for them. In fact, we find it in the Ten Commandments. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It's actually the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment here is based, it's rooted in the seventh day of rest that God took in creation. Listen to what God tells the children of Israel in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath day. And by the way, that word Sabbath a loose transliteration of that word basically means rest. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, 
the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. And so what God is telling his people, the children of Israel, because he loves them, he knows what's best for them. And this is a blessing for them. And so what he tells them, he says, hey, listen, by keeping the Sabbath day, by keeping it holy, setting it apart, God's people entered into the seven-day rhythm of work and worshipful rest. One pastor and author, here's what he writes. He says the Sabbath's purpose was to grace God's people. I love that. The Sabbath day was to grace God's people, to grace their bodies with the rest of the Genesis rhythm and to grace their souls with heaven's rhythm, providing Israel with relief from their labor so that they could focus on God and gratefully celebrate him as their creator and redeemer. And oh, what grace this is. The Sabbath day rest gave God's people time to rest physically and then to reflect on eternal things, to rest spiritually. Indeed, that there is more to life than work, and we're here to represent God and reflect his glory. And then we get to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. He dies on the cross, and then he rises from the grave three days later. So after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Sabbath day for the children of Israel, it shifts to the Lord's Day, to Sunday, which is the first day of the week. And, and another Bible commentator, he says this. Listen to what he writes. He says, this change, this shift from the Sabbath day, which is Saturday traditionally in Old Testament for the Jews, to Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. He says, this change not only bore witness to the resurrection, but it emphasized the difference between the Christian Sunday and the Jewish Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath came at the end of six days, and it spoke of a rest to come. The Christian Sunday comes at the beginning of the week, symbolizing the eternal rest that Jesus Christ has won for those who trust him. Oh, is that not beautiful? What's even more amazing is you, you jump over to the New Testament into the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is all about that Jesus Christ is better. So anything you can imagine, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And you come to Hebrews chapter 4, and we find this sort of commentary on this idea of rest that's rooted here in creation. And the writer there refers to the first day of rest in creation. And then later on in the verses there in chapter 4, he actually begins to talk about the eternal rest that we have in Christ's redemption. It's beautiful. I challenge you to read it, Hebrews chapter 4. And so here's what we find in kind of summary of all this, eternal rest and redemption. Notice this in your notes here. Real rest, true rest, if you will, only comes by resting in Christ, in resting from our efforts to be saved by our works. So you might think of it this way. When Jesus completed his work on the cross, you might remember that we're told in John that he cried out what? It is finished. That's interesting. Moses basically tells us the same thing about God on day seven. 
Jesus dies on the cross, and before he takes his last breath, his cry is, it is finished. It was only then that Jesus rested from his work in redemption, much the same way that God rested from his work in creation. And because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, the writer of Hebrews speaks of a Sabbath rest for the people of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what the writer is telling us here, folks, get a load of this. We, we cannot work for our salvation. We may only rest in Christ, and in Christ we find eternal rest, soul rest, if you will. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the eternal Sabbath. He fulfilled it. And those who work to gain God's favor, to try to earn his favor and his approval, or to strive to earn their salvation, you will not enter into that rest that Jesus offers to us in his redemption on the cross. And here's the reality of it. Right now, in this auditorium, some of you are spiritually tired. And oh, you are weary. You are working hard to try to make things right in your heart and soul, but it is a work that you will never finish. The only way to enter into this rest is by trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, depending on his work rather than your own. And this is why the writer of Hebrews, there in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he assures us that in Jesus Christ, listen to his words, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. What works? Your work of trying to earn salvation. Just as God did from his. In his book, Broken down house, Paul Tripp writes, and I quote, isn't it, a wonderful, isn't it wonderful to know that no matter how difficult and confusing life may be, no matter how unexpected and alarming your circumstances may be, there is rest to be found. He goes on and he writes this, this rest is found not in knowing the future or in logical syllogisms and not in research or experience, no, rest is a gift of grace. It is the result of being accepted into the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Rest is found in knowing that the one who rules it all is your Father. Rest is knowing that the King loves you with an everlasting love and he rules over all things for your sake. This kind of rest will stay with you when circumstances are wonderful and when they are terrible because your rest isn't circumstantial, it is personal. Now that's real rest. And if I may speak so bluntly, frankly, truthfully, there are a lot of frazzled, unfulfilled people today whose root problem is right here. You're ignoring, even refusing, the significance 
of what God did on day seven. God rested so you can too. And when we don't, we are basically saying, I am better than God, I'm greater than God, I don't need to. And we strive and strive because it is self-motivated. It is about doing, doing, doing to gain, gain, gain. I believe the principle that we are seeing here of the Sabbath day rest applies to us because it is rooted in creation. And we need a day each week devoted to rest and worship, not simply a family day. And certainly not a day to catch up on work that we couldn't get done around the house or at work because we were consumed with work at the office the other six days. Listen, the Lord's day is intended to be just that, the Lord's day. A day for rest and worship. Now, let me just leave you here with four reasons why we benefit and what it communicates, what this does for us of taking a weekly day of rest and worship. In fact, these four reasons are adapted from an article by Colin Noble called Better Than Busy. Here's number one. God rested so you can too. Number one, taking a weekly day of rest is a sign that we desire God. Taking one day a week to cease from our strivings in this world and to focus on God, let me tell you, it shouts out that we desire God above all else. When we intentionally set aside a day a week, every week, to focus on the Lord like God's people did as they journeyed to the promised land, we signal to our family, our kids, we signal to our friends, our neighbors, even our coworkers, that our hearts, our lives belong to God. The Lord's day is intended to be just that. In other words, treasuring a day of rest and worship, it lets people know where our hearts truly lie. Number two, taking a weekly day of rest is a sign that we not only desire God, but we also trust God. Taking a weekly day to let go of our endeavors to survive the present and prepare for the future shows that we trust God that his provision for the present is adequate and his promise for the future is sure. As Walter Brugman, who is a, a commentator, Bible scholar, puts it, he, listen to what he says, the celebration of a day of rest was then the announcement of trust in this God who was confident enough to rest. It was then and is now an assertion that life does not depend upon our intense activity of self-securing, but that there can be a pause in which life is given to us simply as a gift. He calls taking a day off breaking with the world of frantic self-securing. Listen, that's what our world is all about. Securing this, securing that, self-securing, self-securing. Our day of rest goes against that. 
It communicates, no, my heart belongs to you, God, and I am trusting you to, to provide. Therefore, I don't have to work seven days a week. I don't have to strive and strive and strive and strive so I can gain and gain and secure my future and live in my present or whatever because I think it's not adequate enough. Try as we may, nothing we can do can ever make us secure. And when we commit to a weekly day of rest and worship, we remind ourselves that we, we are completely dependent on this God who created us. And when you don't, if I may say, what you are really saying is that you trust in yourself more than you trust in your God. Taking, number three, a weekly day of rest proclaims Christ's sufficiency. It proclaims Christ's sufficiency. Taking one day a week to loosen our heart's grip on our own achievements, cl clear space for remembering and reminding each other of Christ's achievements. The good news is everything we cannot do, even with endless striving, Christ has already done. And so in our rest, we are proclaiming, even now as we gather to worship here, we are proclaiming that Christ has provided the true rest that our pursuit of leisure activities and restless sleep cannot provide. Ultimately, setting apart a day of rest, it testifies to a self-reliant world that our work does not save us or define us. Christ does. And resting one day a week helps us to remember that and to proclaim this truth. Number four, taking a weekly day of rest declares our freedom in Christ. Freeing one day a week from the tyranny of the urgent and the never-finished to-do list reminds us that those around us, that we are no longer slaves in this world in which we live. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but this is rooted in the children of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt, and God comes and does what for them? He rescues them from the bondage of slavery. But that... That redemption for Israel, and even for us, that redemption from physical bondage for Israel was, listen, was merely a picture of the greater freedom from sin and death. And so when we take a day of rest, it's not by obligation, but out of greater desire now to pause in our weekly rhythm of life, to remember, to focus, and to worship the one who redeemed us out of the bondage of sin. That's what's happening here. And so declaring that we freely choose to celebrate our freedom in Christ is a message that is sorely needed by those who are enslaved to the obligations of busyness and who feel like they cannot escape the tyranny of the urgent and burnout. God rested on the seventh day, not because he needed to, but because he knew we would. We think time is our enemy. And so we try to pack as much into life as we possibly can, and as a result, there's no time for rest. Carl Henre, in his book, In Praise of Slowness, Challenging the Cult of Speed, says that speed is an addiction that keeps us from rest. He writes, and I quote, 
The problem is that our love of speed, our obsession with doing more and more in less and less time has gone too far. It has turned into an addiction and kind of an adultery. Other people are actually catching on. In fact, there's this whole movement now called the slow movement. Anybody heard of it? The slow movement. It was actually started by an Italian farmer named Carlo Petrini in protest against the opening of another fast food restaurant in Rome. The slow movement advocates that cultural shift towards slowing down life's pace. Slowing down? Taking time for rest and rejuvenation? Listen, that's God's idea. We find it here in Genesis. Day seven, in at creation, God built into the life the rhythm of weekly rest and work. The problem is, some of you, you can't get off the hamster wheel. And the reason you can't get off that hamster wheel is because it's fueled by sinful ambition and constant work. And so my challenge to you is that the most godly thing that you can do is to take one day a week to cease from your work and focus on rest and worship of our God. Otherwise, you will burn out or wear out. Some of you are physically tired and some of you are spiritually tired. Either way, God rested, so what? You got it, so you can too. God's rest points us to the practical need we all have for rest in our weekly physical bodies. Even more than physical rest, Christ's rest points us to the spiritual rest we have in redemption. And so let me encourage you to Take advantage of this blessing God has given to us, the Lord's Day, to rest physically, but more importantly, to rest spiritually, worshiping our Creator. Remember, God rested, so what? You can too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth here in Genesis. We ask that you would work it into our hearts Help us to see this provision of weekly rest and worship as a great blessing from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.